hear the drums echoing tonight And she hears only whispers of some quiet conversation She's coming in 12.30 flight The moonlit wings reflect the stars that guide me toward salvation I stopped an old man along the way to find some old forgotten words or ancient melodies. He turned to me as if to say, hurry boy, it's waiting there for you. The song whisperer today, and I asked where this line came from. She's coming in 12:30 flight. Many said, "Well, it's Elton John, Rocket Man," uh, but it's Africa by Toto. Now the song falls into two camps: one, the best song ever written; two, the worst song ever recorded. <laughs> where do you fall? One or two? Peter from Havelock North is with us. Kia ora, Peter. Ah, Kia ora, Wallace. How are you today? I'm so well. Happy Monday. Did you? When, when I said she's coming in 12.30 flight, did you get it instantly? Yes, sadly I did, mate. I did. Now, it was, <laughs> which, is, which is really, really disappointing because I got, I got last week's really quickly too. You remember Nick Kershaw and the riddle? Yes. <laughs> and I thought, now, now I can, my chance to be windswept and mysterious and exotic and I can say, oh, I know the riddle. But no, I had to get Toto Africa, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> you had to get Toto. But isn't it, isn't it? Could it be the mark of a good series of lyrics where I just give you one time, one two, I give you five words, and you get it? She's coming yeah. in twelve thirty yeah. flight. I mean, what does it even mean? I know, and and I could hear, I could hear every note of it too. You know, you, you mm. sort of, you sort of hum it, you hum it to yourself because we've heard it so often. Yes. But I don't think it's good lyrics, like it's just a song you've heard a lot. Like, we all know I like big butts as well, but no, it doesn't mean it's great songwriting. No, I know. Guy, I, I think there was a period, I don't know when it was, I think in the 90s or in the early 2000s, where it seemed that every retail store seemed to bang this song out every day. And it, and it became one of those songs that you went from... I used to love that song, and now it's like, oh no! Yeah. Well, no, 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 yeah. no, Peter. Because there's mystery behind it, isn't there? Like, she's coming in twelve thirty flight. Why is she coming at twelve thirty? <laughs> and where's she coming from? <laughs> yeah. No because, mention. Because he's because he's it's it's nine it's twelve thirty a.m. and he's cheap and he won't pay for a more expensive flight at the better hour of the day. <laughs> I also Peter, like. You're amazing. I also like how the um, songwriter like doesn't know anything about Africa. Like he 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 mentions Kilimanjaro, Olympus, and Serengeti. Like the three things we've all heard of. No specific <laughs> details. What's he's never been there. He's never been there. Peter, uh, lovely no, to have no. you on the panel. I uh, lovely to talk to you, Wallace. Thanks very much. Good on you. That's Peter from Hamlet North. They're getting it uh, right. It's 24 to 5. We have Guy Williams and May Chin with us this afternoon. Uh, quite a lot of feedback coming in on all matters, including entrenchment. Someone, actually, a few people want to know about double entrenchment. If wow. we have time, we'll sneak it in, or we might have to do a special double entrenchment special. <laughs> but to this, the government will follow Australia and Canada. 
in proposing a law that will require internet giants Google and Meta to pay for the local news they use. It could raise 30 to $50 million for New Zealand media. Media organisations that have seen their advertising revenues eroded as their audience have moved online. And in other media news, the Taxpayers Union and Curia Poll shows 22% of New Zealanders support the public media merger of RNZ and TVNZ. The majority, 54%, don't support the proposal. Let's discuss. Dr Peter Thompson is Associate Professor in the School of English, Film, Theatre, Media and Communication. Dr Thompson, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. To to Google Metaphor, so paying for the local news they use, do you think is needed? Is it warranted? Uh, Yes and no, which is a slightly ambiguous answer. I think this is the wrong solution to the problem. Um, There's absolutely no doubt that the news media sector and other sectors of the media ecology uh, have have seen audiences fragmented as the platforms have grown in their, their influence. And certainly there's a huge capture of, uh, of digital advertising revenue by those digital intermediaries. But the idea that, that that is primarily a problem of the intermediaries somehow stealing the revenue of the news media, which they ought to you know, contribute something back, uh, I, I think is problematic. Um, I don't think it solves the fundamental problems. Uh, and I think that the Australian model that this new proposal seems to copy actually has a number of significant flaws. Meta said they're quoting a policy that unfairly subsidises legacy media companies are now struggling to adapt to the online environment as an approach that will harm competition, reduce trust in media and make the transition to digital models harder. Do they have a point? Uh, They they, they do, but they also have a great deal of self-interest in not paying (laughs) the news media anything. Um, I, I I think the problem is this that the, fundamentally what, what, we've, what we're seeing is, is a range of deficits in the media ecology, not all of which are attributable solely to the, to the uh, online platforms like you know, Google and, and Facebook and TikTok and co. Um, I think there is a very, very strong argument, though, that given their capture of audience attention and given their capture of, of, of digital content discovery, you know, the, the choke points through which we, we are able to access content, I think there's a very strong case for saying that they ought to be required to put some of that revenue back into the media ecology. But simply handing it back to the news media organisations to use in whichever way they like, I, I think is only a very partial resolution of the problem. Can I, I chip? A, a oh, much sorry. better model here, if I can just finish this point, would be to have a, a generic levy on, on commercial revenues, right. which, are put, uh, which are then pulled centrally and made available to ensure that they are respent that on sounds public simpler. interest journalism and other, other content. Okay, no, I, I really like that idea, but can I just, um, just listening to you talk was making me quite upset just because you used the word fragmented, um, the media landscape. They have abs- Facebook and Google have absolutely decimated media. I mean, our largest newspaper group, which owned 50% of the newspapers in New Zealand at least, was sold for $1. I have worked at a media company for 10 years now and just seen most of the newsroom fired. I mean, we have really had our media system destroyed, and it's literally because these websites are able to take the news they like and ignore everything else, 
push m- bad sources of information. Like they've done, should they not? Have, should there not be some sort of retribution for Google and Facebook for what they've done, Peter? Oh, oh, I, 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 in, I wouldn't call it retribution, but I would certainly say that there should be compensation. But not only to to the you know commercial news media, who I agree have have suffered you know a, a loss of advertising revenue. I mean, if we go back to, uh, it's more than know, that. It's cat- the they've been destroyed. Well, that, 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 that's happened, but the idea, that, the idea that, that this happened entirely because of the platforms is incorrect. I mean, the decline in the news media sector's revenues actually started before the rise of, of, of social media. So, so there, there are other problems, and so they're, they're not completely wrong. To but, but it's, it's, All right, now let's, let's bring May in on this too. Yeah, this just shows you that Parliament really is sovereign because what the Honourable Willie Jackson here is doing is he's jawboning. He's basically saying to Google and to Meta, you don't enter into a deal, we'll, we will legislate. And remember, we've just been talking about parliamentary sovereignty and entrenchment and what should be entrenched. So Parliament's very powerful here, and, and, and the Minister's made it clear that they will act if there isn't a deal struck. So that just shows you how powerful that is in terms of resolving a problem. So I think Google and Meta okay. and Media really need to sort w- this out w- because otherwise we are going to have Can I just move on? Can I just move on? Because I've got to get this in, uh, Peter, and around the panel on this, to this merger. So we had this Taxpayers Union and Curia poll showing just 22% of New Zealanders support the public media merger of RNZ and TVNZ. And the first, I've got to be honest with you, uh, Peter, the first piece people question, first question, Question rather, people will ask me, be it afternoon tea, at the pub, barbecue, dinner party, why? What's the reason? Well, my understanding is that there, well, there's really two reasons. I mean, the, 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 ob- the obvious and public reason is that the government wants a, a, a new media entity that, that, that will be responsible for ensuring, you know, public service content across a wide range of genres and across a wide, wide range of audiences on all platforms into the future. Um, the, the, there's another motive, though, and I think that other motive is, is that they, they really don't know what to do with TVNZ. Mm. Um, They've gone past the point where they could sell it for a meaningful amount. It it, it has a business model that, although it's been doing okay in the last year or two, is slowly declining. Uh, And ultimately, if if the government starts having to subsidize it in order to keep it afloat, then it runs into the problem of market distortion. Because other other actors within the market will say, "Well, wait a minute. If it's just operating commercially, you can't uh, you can't just throw money at it, and, and that that's not fair to the rest of us." May you seem like your questions. I, I, um, I heard the prime minister say something this morning I'd never heard before. She said that this merger was needed because it was the only way to save Radio New Zealand, which I thought was really. Um, Unusual, <laughs> because uh, actually Radio New Zealand has its own piece of legislation, and and you know, yes. and and um, and it talks about public interest in there. And actually, TVNZ was made into a more commercial model. But I, I look, it's such a large sum of money, and I think the communi- the comms here is really poor. I can't articulate it, and and I must say, given that there are so many calls for money at the moment. You know, and you're saying that this is a must-do before the election, i.e., before the house rises for the general election in early August. Um, I still don't get it. Well, okay. I, I, I would agree that the political comms hasn't been great, and possibly the ball was dropped in the past between Chris Farfoy and, and, and Willie Jackson. Um, but I, I, I think I think you can make a very strong case for it. It just hasn't been articulated clearly enough, in my view. And I've got to say that hasn't necessarily been helped by some of the media reports and social media, you know, um, 
hubris o over the idea that this is some kind of terrible government conspiracy to control the narrative and you know manipulate all our brains. Yeah. Um, sorry, that, that's just patent nonsense. Um, but but the, that, that, that makes it incumbent on the government to actually come forward and explain what's gone on. And I have to say, even, even, on, uh, even on relatively reliable media like TVNZ, I mean, the, the Q&A just, just last Sunday wasn't, uh, wasn't exactly impressive. There were more interruptions than there were explanations. The, the well, was, no, that's, uh, yeah. to, to, to be fair, you've got a, you've got a standout presenter who, who were trying to get some decent questions, and it's, it did feel like the minister was uh, uh, floundering a little bit there, Peter. Well, I, I, th I think if you compare that with other media interviews, the minister wasn't given as much time to explain things as perhaps other, 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 other ministers and politicians were. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I didn't see the interview, but maybe I could raise an issue about the ACE issue as opposed to the ICE issue. Uh, autonomous crown entity, which is what they're going to turn this into, mm. has also caused a lot of issues because it's an instrument choice which is not as independent of government as an independent crown entity. Mm. So they could have right. chosen the most oh, independent and they say, no, no, We've, we've protected independence, but then they chose an autonomous crown entity. So well, that just makes them a little well, bit Well, we might closer. come back to that, actually. Uh, uh, did you want to I, say I, th I think that's a really important point, and it's actually a point that needed to be explained on that Q&A programme and wasn't. And, it, and, and really the issue boils down to this. The, the, there are reasons why an autonomous crown entity may be the preferred model, and it doesn't equate to direct government interference hmm. in editorial decisions. In Interesting fact, point, mate. That's explicitly forbidden. Um, the reason it, it can't be a crown company is because that would put Treasury in the position of shareholder. And when they, were the, when they occupied that role when the, we had the TVNZ charter, they, they undermined the whole thing by demanding more in dividends than the government was giving TVNZ in charter funding. Folks. So, so, so he, that, that's the reason that's not preferred. An independent crown entity, meanwhile, is generally reserved for quasi-judicial and regulatory bodies like the Broadcasting Standards Authority or, or the Classification Office. Now, I, th I think there could be a case for doing that, but here's the reason I, I, no. I, I wouldn't agree with it. In 10 seconds, and, and Peter. That is the, the risk of internal subversion by parties within the new public media entity who do not accept public service as their mission. This happened before with the TVNZ Charter. Right. There were managers in TVNZ who deliberately misspent the money and undermined it. So placing it really outside any sort of government government jurisdiction, I think, I think carries an, a different sort of political... Peter, we have to go, sadly, because it's such an interesting topic, but kia ora uh, for that. That's Dr Peter Thompson there from the University of Victoria. Now to this. Uh, artificial intelligence uh, used to be in the age of sci-fi, but now it's being used to create artwork or customer service. But what about our court system? AI is now being deployed in overseas courtrooms, for example in China, to decide small claims cases or for certain cases in Malaysia. Could it work here? Lecturer in AI at Victoria University Wellington is Andrew Lenson. He written a really interesting piece for the conversation. He's with us. Uh, Dr. Lenson, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Instantly, I'm uh, such an interesting article, but I can see so many issues <laughs> with having AI in our justice system. Please explain. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're very correct to say there's lots of issues there. And part of what um, we're doing in this article is trying to explore what those may be, and I suppose what is and isn't a good direction to go with this, um, because I think we can all agree we don't want. 
AI judges deciding how long we're going to prison for, but <laughs> is there a role for AI um, in, in sort of making things more consistent and understanding some of these decisions more clearly? Well, let's go straight to a person who, in fact, has just come from court. Uh, you know, so, 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 May, we're not talking about sort of major oh, offences I also here. came straight from court, but that was because I was a um, defendant rather than a, <laughs> Thank rather you. Than a lawyer. Sorry, so, so, May. Experience. May, do you see any room whatsoever for some sort of um, aspect of Artificial intelligence. Look, AI AI is wonderful as a research tool. So you can go off and say to your computer, please find me all the cases in this area, and you can study them. Right. But, you know, remember, what do you get from court? You get court judgments. And whose judgments are they, Wallace? They are the judgments of the, the judge, the person who sits down and considers it all. And so at the end of the day, we, we want to make sure that the person who exercises his or her or, or they, <laughs> discretion, um, a, a actually is a person. Um, because as much as computers can mimic many things, there, there are issues of compassion, there are issues of application to a particular person, there are mitigating, mitigating circumstances, aggravating circumstances. Can't, can't you just write that into the AI, either? The, AI, the computer will sort it yes, out for you, either. whoever codes the computer may also code in biases. And, uh, this guy, and, this and guy in Wellington's got some good thoughts. No, <laughs> I reckon he could do it. Well, that's, that, this um, May brings up some brilliant points, uh, Andrew, w w of which you're no doubt aware. Coding and biases, that type of thing. And also, yeah, compassion. Oh, yeah, look, I, I think she really hits on the head and I'm on the same page in that we don't see it as a way to replace judges, but I would sort of argue that as a tool for judges, for example, to say, here are some relevant previous cases or have you considered that your sentence is perhaps um, out of line with similar looking ones beforehand as that sort of tool I think it's potentially really interesting and really powerful. But, but, um, uh, but, and but aren't, aren't our judges a bunch of like um, racist old nutters anyway? You know like oh, don't, just, don't we just, have... Don't, don't, just be careful what you say. <laughs> too too no, much. For goodness too, sake. But isn't, is our, isn't our justice system like, sorry that was too far, but is, isn't our justice system like deeply flawed anyway? Couldn't a computer do a better job? No, no. I think that um, we have yeah. judges who are well trained and who try. But um, there's no doubt that it is important to be aware of subconscious biases. And I think in right. terms of the common law method, which is really what you're talking about, common law method is about looking at cases and then evolving and developing the law so that it protects and serves the people of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Mm. So I think in that way, uh, AI can be a useful tool as long as it's a tool and right. not a decision maker. Final thought, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I think that the point about bias is interesting because what we're doing is we're learning from data from uh, decisions made by judges already. And so if there is bias in that model, it means there's bias in those judges, as, as Guy was kind of roughly alluding to. And so as a research tool and understanding any bias in the system, it's also got some really interesting potential there. So I think we're all really on the same page. It's just we don't want to see it used to... Um, sentence people, but it could help to improve consistency. Oh, I'm not on the same page. I want to use robots to sentence everyone. I was going to ask, though, are all our jobs eventually going to go to AI? Like, will radio host, could that be AI? Could comedian well, no, be that, AI? That won't, that won't be <laughs> That'll be... Uh... You're too funny, Guy. I don't, I don't think anyone's going to say too. <laughs> who, who says? <laughs> Andrew, you're a crack-up. Kia ora. Thanks for that. That's Dr. Andrew Lenson there. Uh, AI uh, expert at Victoria University. Wellington. Uh, 
Very good. Uh, lots of feedback coming through about all topics, particularly um, the merger, uh, the proposed merger that's coming through, and also uh, entrenchment. So uh, thank you for that. But finally, on the program, when it comes to roundabouts, oh, it's no. a topic that occasionally comes up. <laughs> We've had so many good topics in a row, and now we're going to roundabouts. <laughs> well, this one is very, very important for uh, our uh, our listeners because it's, uh, it's a subject. I mean, uh, even Janet Wilson pointed out on this very program, she said that driver behavior at roundabouts Absolutely outrageous. It's also the look of them and whether we take civic pride in our roundabouts. And this has been an issue. (laughs) Civic pride in our roundabouts. I kind of get it, I guess, but civic pride in roundabouts. Well, you will know the town, uh, Guy, if you've been to Nelson recently. Waka Kotai has come under renewed pressure to tackle the weeds growing In the roundabouts, oh. traffic islands, and median strips on the highway through Nelson. Uh, certainly got my interest up with us now. I think he's on the line now. Man, Nick Smith. Nick, are you there? I am. A very Gr- good evening. Greetings to you, Nick. Kia ora. Thanks for being with us. Now, Nick, how bad are these weeds? Well, they're about a metre and a half tall. And the You're thing kidding. that's really getting up the nose of people in Nelson is that this issue's now been going for more than a year. Nelson prides itself on being a tourist centre. We've had a really tough time with COVID and with the storm event, and I'm just getting so much cross-feedback from people that this makes uh, the entrances to our town, coming in from the airport or coming from the north, looking uh, really scruffy. Uh, Our council spends millions of dollars a year on many beautiful gardens, and we've got these really high-profile spots. Uh, where the, the the weeds have just run wild, uh, and there is a, a quite legitimate safety issue as well, in that they are so tall that it's becoming difficult to be this able shocking. to see vehicles as you approach the roundabout. Absolutely, Mayor Nick. Um, thanks, thanks for calling in. This is a very important issue. But um, can you not just get a weed whacker from Bunnings and go out there and sort it out in about fifteen minutes? Oh, well, I was very tempted, and there is the rebel in me that would love to get my weedies around. I was doing my bit at heart, uh, and I've actually had an approach from uh, a group of pretty angry citizens who threatened to do just that. Look, yep. there is a legitimate health and safety issue, uh, and that is that when people are working on these busy highways with very large traffic volumes, if someone does come off the road, someone can be seriously injured. Well, and so, look, uh, a group of residents said to me that's exactly what they were going to do. They were going to get out there with their wee users. And I said, hey, give me a go. I'll try and work this issue out through the proper channels. And that is why I raised it with Fokka Katahi uh, at the first regional transport meeting in Nelson last week. Nice. Well, well, Nick, congratulations on becoming the mayor. And I just want you to know that Nelson's been through such a difficult time with floods and roads washed out and an infrastructure deficit, which is eye-watering. So uh, it's understandable that you haven't got around to this. And, and I have to say that I'm a frequent tourist uh, to Nelson because it's one of my favourite places in New oh, Zealand yes. to relax. And I haven't noticed the weeds. So um, it, it isn't putting me off, Nick. But but if you want to get out there with a bushwhacker... Spend your money. We'd love to have you through. Yep. I'm there at the Nelson Market. 
Uh, it is a fantastic market. Well, well, well n- n- he, 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 here is the deal, because this has been a real long one. I mean, I pulled a report from January of this year about your weeds in your city. Um, something has got to be done about them. You cannot have one and a half metre weeds coming into Nelson, this great city. Oh, the, the other part that's actually quite a legitimate concern, and that is as it dries out when we get into the January and February months, is a legitimate fire risk. (laughs) Not the roundabout on fire, Nick. Yeah, it is. Well, look, uh, we tell property owners you've got to clear your grass and it gets over a certain height and it dries out. And actually being right beside where vehicles uh, can uh, issue sparks. There is some risk on that front as well. And people just simply say, hang on, mate. These are the rules for everybody else that you and government make. Uh, can you at least make sure that you follow your own rules? Could, could I put in a counter-argument that if the um, yeah. roundabout weeds did burn down, then you'd have no more weeds in your roundabout, which would solve the original problem? <laughs> well, Grant, Grant says, yes, look, we, Grant says weeds and flowers are a hazard on roundabouts if you can't see the blinkers of the oncoming car, especially with people turning right. So here's the solution, uh, uh, Mayor Smith, and you've heard it from the panel. So what you do is you concretise your, all your roundabouts. Perfect. Put in resolution, and then what you do is now hang on. Then you commission local artists to do sculptures, Mm. and that becomes a sculpture tour. (laughs) So you go around roundabouts. You're coming out of the airport. You've got that wonderful roundabout there. You've got a sculpture right there. Gorgeous. Look, there's no shortage of creative spirits in Nelson. I'll be passing that on. And to be fair to Fokker Katahi, if you look at some of the new roading developments they've done, they are done with some style and they look good as well as being safe and functional. I just hope someone can apply their mind in an imaginative way like the panel and get us a solution that looks good, is safe, uh, and has Nelson uh, standing up to its reputation as a bit of a garden city. Very good, Nick. Thank you for that. That's uh, Mayor Nick Smith. And uh, you've been a wonderful panel, both of you. Uh, May Chen, Guy Williams, we did not get to what is double entrenchment. We will have that on the panel at some stage. We'll get you on phone talk about it. That'll be just yeah. fine. It's, it's sometimes called substance and form, but I won't start now. All right. Thank you very much. I'm Wallace Chapman. Checkpoint is next. I'm back tomorrow, 345